Welcome to Agile Adventures, where we explore concepts, tips, and tricks that help your teams achieve their goals and dreams. Hello and welcome to Agile Adventures with Brian Levy and Jacob Shore. How's it going, Brian Levy? Hey, I just checked the air quality. It's a good air quality day in California, so I am happy. Bright and sunny. And one week from the Super Bowl. Hmm. All things are positive. It's a while, it's been a while since I lived in the States, so who's playing in the Super Bowl? The Super Bowl is the championship game for American football. No, no, I know what the Super Bowl is. No, I ask you who's playing in it. The uh, the two teams that are playing are the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals. And I'm favoring the Bengals because this is the Chinese year of the Tiger. Right? So the Bengals, Bengal Tigers, they should win it. Uh-huh. Because that's what my bookie says in, in Vegas. <laughs> if you're gonna start gambling, you have to have some reason. <laughs> I don't know. Like ever ever since I found out that I was born in the year of the rat, I was just like these Chinese people are full of crap. <laughs> <laughs> the rat's a noble animal. So, fun fact, what I found out is that when the explorers settled um, Australia and New Zealand, they brought rats there to eat because they they repopulated so much and good source of protein. That's stupid. Strange but true fact. <laughs> I mean, I think like the... The Spanish brought pigs. I mean, that seems more intelligent than rats. I mean, yeah, harder to maintain, right? I don't know, man. Bubonic plague. Ever since then, I'm just like, yes, (laughs) man. These Chinese people, they shove it, you know. Like I don't know, like they're all pretty bad. Like the year of the dog, the year of the the year of the chicken, like the year of the the year of the pig. Like the only one that like makes that like isn't terrible is the year of the dragon. I guess the, the tiger is like I don't know. But... Hey, I, I I personally like it. Um, I am biased because I was born in the year of the ox. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good one. I don't know why you want to be born with you. I mean, the ox, like, none of these are particularly appealing. Like, they're, they're just a bunch, of, like, I mean, you know, the, the, the ox thing is right after the, the, the rat, right? Yeah. They have this whole thing about uh, the rat, like, caught a, caught a ride with the ox, but then jumped off right before. In the, in which, the, which means you're older than me. 
It is 12-year cycle? Yeah, 12-year yeah, cycle. So, yeah, so I am 11 years. Uh, I'm curious. I'm either one year older than you or 11 years younger than you or or 12, multiple 12 and then 11 years. Well, if people are listening to the podcast and not uh, viewing it, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with my story. You're older. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, can't see my gray old. hair. It only happened <laughs> once, so you know. Yeah. So what was what was yeah. our topic for today? Uh, I believe it was choosing the best design. Ah, yes. Choosing the best design. Yes. So, I'm I'm gonna go old school. Like so. Years ago, many years ago, I was an architect. The rack, the rack. <laughs> and uh, as an architect, there was a, I studied under you know, Togaf, and there were some, some basic rules about how to actually pick the best design. Who's Togaf? What we would do is you figure out what were the major functionality that was necessary. Then what you would do is you would identify all the different scenarios from your users. Because a lot of times the different scenarios you run into um, could cause significant architectural changes. Then once we had those scenarios listed, we would think about what were the greatest risk. And once we actually identified what the greatest risks were, we would create these things we call architectural mechanisms. And architectural really? mechanisms, all, all the top architects in the world, right? All, all yeah, the were cool. You actually, were you really an architect at some point? Yes, I was. Like for buildings? No, for uh, software. Well, oh, mostly okay. it was it was for systems, but it was mostly hardware. Oh, okay, fine. We're we were fine, that makes sense. And so uh, you think about the, uh, look at the major risk and you figure out what you were going to do to overcome those risks. And the things that you would do to overcome the risk were called architectural mechanisms. And then what you do is figure out the next level of risk underneath that. And you would call, again, you, figure out ways to overcome those risks. And we call those things design mechanisms, right? And you keep hey, that so pattern so going. So walk, walk me through the process here. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm a little bit, it's a little bit, it's too abstract for my blood. I'm just this simple, I'm just a simple village boy. I don't know these fancy mechanisms. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, so what, what so what step one is what? Yeah, and you need to identify the major functional requirements. Okay. So let's keep it simple. Um, I want to make a... sandwiches. <laughs> okay, that's a little more complex than I was going to go, but let's say peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. 
we're making a we're making a machine that's gonna go ahead and create these peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <clears throat> now the okay. next step is identify scenarios because scenarios could have significant impact onto your system. Okay. It's a whole different a whole different architecture if the machine you're making only made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But if you had scenarios where a customer could actually select to not use peanut butter because a lot of people have peanut butter allergies and they can substitute it with almond butter or cashew butter or sunflower butter, right? So those this scenarios. Seems like, this, seems, this seems like a terrible idea, you know, cross-contamination and all, like this is just a lawsuit waiting to happen. But okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll, but I'll go with you. I'm in California. You have to, you have to have some other kind of nut uh, alternative. Probably a uh, sunflower. Oh, they 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 certainly have a lot of nuts there, so you know, I'm not not worried. <laughs> but at bat. <laughs> right. So again, so identify these uh, the other uh, scenarios, so I know kind of more in depth what the scope is about. Okay. And then. I think about the risk involved. And you just brought okay. up a big risk, right? The risk you brought up is, hey, what about cross-contamination? Yes. All right, so, so I think about how do I prevent cross-contamination? And maybe the machine I have, you know, again, I'm, I'm heavily influenced by my wife, in the medical profession. And when they actually go in and treat different patients in the same room, they Clorox and alcohol that place down. Mm. So maybe my machine has a mechanism inside of it that uses alcohol to clean everything off. Make a sandwich, clean it up. Now there's no cross-contamination. Right? So the components that clean everything up with alcohol in between uh, sandwich making, maybe we call that um, the uh, the cleaning mechanism. And when I use that term as far as architectural mechanism to counteract the risk, that would be it. Mm -hmm. Easy. It's a whole other machine, though. No. Well, it would be a component. Of the, of the larger system I'm building, right? Okay, fine, yeah. All right, so that's, uh, oh, I, a lot of echo there. Um, so wait, so that's, that, that, would, that would be a, what, what do we call that again? An architectural mechanism. It's, it's just a uh, solution to the biggest risk that you have for building your system. Okay. And are there like prepackaged architectural mechanisms or are they just all uh, shooting from the hip like, oh, let's alcohol the thing. Like that's, that was a brand new idea that no one's ever thought of, you know, apparently. So like- Hey, how... I, I invented that right after I invented the internet. Yes. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't Al Gore, folks, it was me. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, no, he's Al Gore. I mean, you know, listen, you can't trust politicians. You really, you can only really trust former former architects. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Uh, okay. So yeah. But yeah, so the, this, there are prepackaged ones, right? Like the the whole the whole idea of architectural patterns. A pattern, by definition, is a common problem, and because it's a common problem, there's common solutions for it. So you can actually just so, Google. So, architectural so patterns. Is, so the idea behind that, the patterns is to get rid of the the simple one, the simple common problems, so you get to your big uncommon problems. That Correct. has no pattern. Correct. Because some some problems will not have patterns is what I'm deducing from this conversation. Well, some won't. Most do. Now, I mean, yeah, I mean, you have to. You have to be doing something really interesting, not to have a pattern, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, and it, even if you are doing something completely new, it probably uses some concepts that have been used possibly in a different industry. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if I ever told you about the uh, trees, the theory of uh, inventive problem solving. But there's a whole problem solving technique that was invented by um, this Russian guy who was in the uh, Russia's patent office. And he just studied the patterns. And what he noticed is that many of the patents that came through the patent office, they were not for new stuff. They were for taking items, solving problems in one field using a mechanism that had been discovered in a different context, a different field. And he figured out that, hey, like 66% of the patents that come through, they're not for new stuff. All right, they're just using uh, gr- using things that are still, known. Did he still grab the patterns, the patents? Or was he like, this is not new, go home. <laughs> he still granted the patents, right? Oh, okay, um, I don't know. Wait. We like to think that we invent stuff new, but most things are bent on principles from other fields. Mm-hmm. So, but again, so I go through, I come up, you know, so I make my risk list and I prioritize it. And then I come up with solutions for the highest risk. Then I go to the next risk, come up with solutions for that. No, sometimes you may run into a situation where to solve for the new risk, you may actually break the pattern that's in the old risk. So you may have to go back and say, all right, is there a different pattern, different solution that will actually work with uh, both risks? But you just iterate through doing that risk management piece of it. You come up with solutions. And so you've actually iterated it through and actually designed your system. Okay. okay. So well, so like let's say you found out that there's also an alcohol allergy. That would be like the second risk, or <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the second risk, right? So maybe instead of cleaning the equipment, maybe we do like the rest of the world does. We use disposable items 
to make the sandwiches. And after you finish with um, making a certain type of sandwich, now you finish using peanut butter, then the, internally, the spread you use, um, you know, I don't know if it's a, you know, just say it's a plastic knife inside or something like that, just to make it easy. You just throw it well, away and use, use a new one. Why would you just use like uh, canisters and spray it on? Like, why would you like use a knife? Like if you're making a machine already. I've been visiting like, oh. you know, wax paper conveyor belt and like, <laughs> and you know, spray cans of peanut butter and jelly and almond butter if you're into that. But that's another possible solution. So right. like, I don't know, it seems like, uh, I've always felt a knife was like a terrible tool for spreading things on bread. Like I, I've always liked it because I have control. Right with the spray, unless I shape it to this the shape of the bread or something. I feel like there'd be you can have wastage, right? But you know, it's that's a possible alternative. Well, no, you cut the bread after you after you spray it. Yeah, now you're wasting parts of your sandwich. <laughs> no, you have a huge thing of bread, and it just chops it into 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 squares. So kids don't like the crust, anyways. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, let's let's go with that. So we go with that solution, right? Um, and here's the the key part. As you make decisions about the architecture, about the design, you were comparing different options. Like we just talked about three or four different options of how we're gonna actually put the peanut butter on the on the bread. And yes. I don't even, when I don't we actually do it. <laughs> the uh when we do it, most times people will argue for a specific design, but they don't write down what they expect to see is the results and how those results will be better than the other than the other choices. And if you want an optimal design, you just need to specify it. So if, if you're saying, hey, the spring it on is gonna be more efficient, then I need to challenge you a bit and say, well, how much more efficient? Well, I don't know. Right. I'm not how, sure. Like, I'm not sure how we could have a knife. How we could have a get a machine to operate a knife. Like, it seems like there's oh. way too much dexterity involved in knife spreading. <clears throat> right now, my wife works with robots that you can program to slice people open during surgeries and not kill them. I think we can yeah, handle pre I, precision. <laughs> no, I don't think they could spread. I don't think they could spread 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 peanut butter on on bread. It's a totally different thing, man. Like, yeah, I, I, Wait, you, you could. My wife like, works with lasers that little, literally doesn't mean burn just the cancer out of patients and leaves yeah, the rest I, of the organs intact. <laughs> I'm just not convinced of like, that. <laughs> that's, I I just don't think they're up to the task. <laughs> We'll have to agree to disagree on this one. But my, my point is that 
I think the level of the, le- the, le- the level of engineering you would need to get to get uh, to get a machine that uses an actual knife to spread peanut butter on bread is like way 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 more than you would need to have a machine that sprays a continuous metered amount of peanut butter on bread. All right, so let's go with this for a second. Let's let's use this. So you're claiming that the spray would be more efficient. How are you going to judge how much more efficient it is? Amount of waste and time that it takes to get peanut butter on bread and consistency of thickness of peanut butter on the bread. All right, so let's take a guesstimate of when I use this spray, how how consistent should the spray be? And how much waste are we going to have from using the spray? So we should be able to quantify it. And if we quantify it, then once we build it, we should be able to measure to see if it lived up to its standards. Additionally, okay. we should quantify things for the alternatives. By the way, what would, you use for, what would you use for meter for, for this all? Like Arduinos or I guess we've got our own microcontrollers and stuff because like, I mean, this is already not, a, not in the realm of architecture, right? But just wondering now, like, you well, know, how... Oh, well, it, so I think you may have a different definition of architecture. So the IEEE um, definition of architecture are the most significant design decisions that you yeah. have to make about the system. And yeah. I judge significant by the ones that if I made a different decision, it would have the greatest effect on costs or schedule. Okay. So everything, any kind of system you ever build has an architecture. Right, whether it's hardware, software, process, there's a certain. Are you are you, ar- are you arguing that this that this is part of the architecture? It or is not part of it. Oh, okay, <laughs> fine. I don't know. I, I, I didn't know. I was like, I thought they were getting too much in the weeds for you. <laughs> no, no. But again, again, the point of this thing is like, again, our topic is choosing the optimal design, and choosing the optimal design. The only way you know it's optimal is if you can actually specify here are the results that we expect to receive from doing certain actions. And it's it's a hypothesis, right? I should say, you know, given that sprays have, you know, they're so prevalent and so efficient that if we actually use a spray to, to put the peanut butter on the bread, then it should only result in this much waste and we should quantify it. And we'll be able to spray to this level of thickness on a consistent basis. And we should be able to quantify each one of those things. And then we can compare it against the other options. Yeah. Then you can actually go back and verify, hey, did it actually do what it said it was going to do? 
Yeah, there's also the question of like, so like, you know, let's take like the, the surgical machines, right? Like, how much was, what does one of those cost about? That's a good question. Um, I have no idea, but let's just say for giggles, $10,000. So yeah, so I've heard like in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Let's use a hundred. <laughs> yeah so like you have to figure out like let's say like it was wasteful like how much peanut butter would you have to waste to make up that the difference between uh the prestige amount of engineering you would need and you would need to uh to um to get the the to to like let's say let's imagine i think i think that the square would be more efficient but let's imagine but yeah if we're comparing them We'd also then have to go and see how much peanut butter we would you have to waste for the make up the difference between the engineering of the uh you know the sensors and the everything for the for the knife working versus the spraying, right? Not only should you care about the, the cost of wastage, but what people often overlook when they're um designing things is that on average especially in software development, only 40% of the costs involved with an application is in new product development. The vast majority of the costs, over 60%, is in maintenance. Mm -hmm. So we need to actually start doing the numbers and figuring out how we're going to maintain it, right? What's our uh, schedule for fixing things? How yep. much does it cost to fix it? What are you doing on preventive maintenance? How long do these parts last? When do we have to reorder them? So you have to think through yeah. those pieces, calculate the total cost of ownership based on that uh, design decision and compare it against other design decisions. Okay. So this at this point seems like an overwhelming Herculean task that nobody could undertake to figure out whether or not we should use spray or gray or knives in our peanut butter making machines. Well, so it does seem that way, which is why people don't actually think through it. But if you, I don't have to look at everything. The only thing I have to look at are the things that will be different between the options. And the vast majority of decisions that we made there's not there's not much variability in the other factors for maintenance between diff two different options. And if they're the same, I don't need to think about it. I just need to think about the things that are going to be different. Then I compare those. Okay. So what 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 things do I not have to think about? So if we're choosing between the, the spray and the knife, right? The there's a certain amount of maintenance that will go on for the rest of the machine. But we only care about those pieces because those are the only things that are going to be different. Right? Mm -hmm. The okay. testing for everything else is going to be the same amount of testing, right? For all, all, the, all the other parts. So the, the vast majority of the things that you would need to consider to choose between you know, those two options are just particular to those two options. 
So the vast majority okay. of the things he had to consider. Now it's gonna be the same. Yes. Okay. What else is it, what else would be a a uh, architectural decision for this peanut butter making peanut butter and jelly making machine? Well, the uh, because we have different alternatives for you know, peanut butter versus your uh, sun sunflower butter, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. The uh, there's going to be I need to make sure that not only things don't cross contaminate, but also want to make sure that we can easily resupply because okay and one day i may have a rush of people from california that want the sunflower nut butter and another day middle america comes in and they just want traditional american peanut butter okay now i just want to so, so this is a question that i was sort of you know, like we didn't get the specs of this machine, you know, nailed down, nailed down in the beginning. So I was just like wondering, are you envisioning this machine as like the input of this machine being peanuts or peanut butter? That's a decision we have to make, right? Yes. And we had to weigh, hey, what are the costs of the inputs? Because to, to actually crush it, and make um, make it so that it's a smooth and creamy, you know, um, consistency. That may take some some effort, right? And I don't know if we want to actually build all that into the machine. It makes it way more complicated. Yeah, that's true. But on the other hey, hand, it ensure it ensures that a we can we could get cheaper inputs probably. And B, we could have a consistent consistency for all of our different uh, butters. That's right. And if you look at what's happening right now, I mean, people are going through this very same decision, right? For a long time, all the phone manufacturers were buying their uh, chips from Intel. And then Intel hit a glitch. And now, you know, Samsung's... Uh, starting to manufacture their own chips, right? Yeah. And Apple's looking like looking at doing the same thing. What are you looking at it? They're doing it. <laughs> I didn't know if they officially switched over yet. Oh, they've been switched over for like the past year. So, it, so there you have it. Like, again, when circumstances change, we may actually want to change the decision. And, and if we know that's going to happen, we may want to design it in a way that makes it easier to do those type of switches. So maybe I we mean, start out. Apple Apple was the biggest question why they didn't do that to begin with since they're so proprietary, but, you know. And so into like everything being like based on Apple, like, you know, like, because yeah, that they say their chips have like, have like, are like much faster because like, they only do things that like Apple wants them to do, so they do them better. Well, again, it, other things you have to consider, and I, the reason that Apple probably didn't start out making their own chips 
is there's a particular core competency and skill necessary to make chips. And if you, if that's not your core competency, you're not going to be able to focus your resources on the things that drive your business, right? So you're, you're spreading yourself out. And that's resourcing is another thing you have to consider when you make these types of decisions, hmm. right? A lot of times people I mean, build things. I mean, they didn't really do that. They more like outsourced it to a, to a Taiwanese company. But yeah, but like the Taiwanese company built the chips, but. but. Right. But even the design oh. of it, how it works, right? Again, it's, it's, it's much easier, you know, for me to order peanut butter than to um, actually have to order the right peanuts and then figure out how to actually control and build the machine to turn it into peanut butter. Because now I'm not building just a sandwich making machine, which is relatively simple. Now I'm actually building a, a peanut butter creation machine in addition to the sandwich machine, right? Well, I mean, you're also building a cleaning machine and a that's for sure that that was yeah i agree but you know like yeah yeah so the decisions the you make question, can add additional layers of complexity yeah the question is where are you going to get uh where are you going to get all this sunflower seed in bulk, in bulk? oh we, we we got that taken care of like in california there's a a, a million a million uh farmers markets where they bring tons and tons of sunflower seeds well, no, the butter. But if you're gonna put, I, I get that you can get sunflower seeds easily. I'm just saying, how do you get the butter easily? Like, where are you gonna, where, oh, are, yeah. you gonna get, where are you gonna get a supplier of like bulk sunflower seeds butter? Um, easy. We got them all over the place here. So literally. So, so you're always planning on operating this machine in California, then? No, um, but right now, I can, I can actually maybe I'll do this. I can walk to the store right now and on our shelves and our stores, every store here, they're supplied with sunflower um, seed butter. And we just go to those same manufacturers that they're putting it into, into jars on the shelf, just have them supply us some. So, you know, all this stuff is possible. Um, but they're they're based upon um, knowledge that you know your average person wouldn't even know about. This happens in building software systems all the time, right? We make assumptions okay. about what's available, what isn't, and we got to try some of this stuff out. It'll lead to different decisions. But the, okay. the main point is that. We get it. When I said try it out, we should test the assumptions and also test the efficacy of the decisions that we've made. And if you don't do those things and don't think about it in advance, you'll make decisions. And if they're the wrong decisions, you actually won't know about it and you'll just build on top of bad design, bad architecture.
So you got to think about how you're going to test it out. Now, normally what Agile was designed for, it's like, hey, if, if there's risk, the greater the risk that this may not be the optimal decision to make, the more you don't build everything out before you solidify your decision. So the reason that I've always referred to these decisions in the terms of a hypothesis, because you want to actually talk about it tentatively, leaving into account that you could be wrong about it. And then maybe in one sprint, I'll go through and I'll build not the whole thing, not the whole design, but I build a piece of it, just enough for me to test. Could be a proof of concept. Could be as, as easy as uh, analysis and research, crunching some numbers. But you, you test it out to see if it's, this thing is gonna work. And then once you have enough confidence that, oh yeah, this is the right decision, then you build out the rest of it. Yep, see, someone in our audience agrees. I heard him. I, I mean, I, I mean, it doesn't seem very positive to me, but you know. <laughs> no, th those are cries of joy. Those are like, yes, someone finally understands. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, he woke up in his sleep out of excitement. Uh, yeah. But yeah. The, the problem we have right now is that in our in our teams in the agile environment is that someone will actually push a design and lots of lots of times the design that wins is based on the position of the person who uh, proposes it mm -hmm. it's not based on merit Someone or has a, a certain position. Or possibly the, the, the charisma of the person who's, uh, who's suggesting it. That's even, that's even worse, right? <laughs> yeah, like just a guy who like could talk really well, you know? And so that person, whether it's power or charisma, they never have to prove that it really works, that it is optimal. And the team never looks for evidence that it is. In fact, we usually don't even talk about it unless it's super obvious that it was the wrong decision afterward because we ran into so many problems. But just a few easy steps of thinking about how you prove it up front would actually provide kind of a collective assurance that he did go the right way, right? Mm -hmm. In the end, Agile was designed for this. And if you look at the Scrum Guide, um, and under the, the retrospective section, it actually says in your retrospective that assumptions that led the team astray should be investigated, right? So we should, if we, we may, if we got a certain design and it's not giving us the results we want, the scrum guy actually says, you should look at what assumptions you were making and figure out like how you let these, these assumptions lead us to making a bad decision. Mm -hmm. 
We had to, we had to yeah. test, test it out. And that way we don't make bad decisions in the future. Yeah. Yeah, those, those yeah. bad decisions, they, they hurt everyone. Yes. Yes. They cause, they cause great pain and anguish. <laughs> just, just thinking about it, I can hear some of our, our audience members crying over this injustice that happened. Like some guy, you know, you know, so technically it comes up with some, some design and then everyone else has to suffer, right? Exactly. Right? It, it doesn't have to be that way, right? It doesn't take that much longer, a couple minutes after we pick the decision, for us to ask the question, how do we know that this was the best decision? How are we going to verify yeah. it? Right. And then going forward, you're just looking to, to actually do the work to verify it. Now, most often, the work that it would take to verify that this was the best decision is probably work that you would have had to done anyway. You had to test out to make sure that your design worked and functioned correctly. And you probably want to have some monitoring on whatever you're building to make sure that it's constantly functioning properly in production. And mm -hmm. the same tools that you use to establish those items are probably gonna be the same tools that you're gonna use to verify that you have the optimal solution anyway. So again, it's not, most of the time, it's not that much extra work, but again, doing that extra step can actually save you so much in choosing the optimal design. And choosing the optimal design and not having to do the rework saves you lots of time and energy on your project. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I think it's super important to do. What do you think about all this stuff? Thinking. The, the tough part is, is just being disciplined and the scrum master should actually make sure this happens. Asking the question, how do we know that this decision was the right one? And if the team can't answer that question, we'll be the right probably we want to say, right? Like what it is before <laughs> you've, done, you've done anything, right? Right. Right. Okay. And then check it after you've done something, right? Correct. That's correct. So what about the cost of um, of maintaining a meeting? Like, let's say, so what about the comparing the, so, I mean, I don't think there's really much to say here other than that. Like, yeah, so in my experience, there's like usually a overestimated, there's usually an overestimation as to how good our design, our initial thoughts on the design is. And there's usually also an overestimation of the cost it will take to constantly keep revisiting things. Right. So that is usually, um, 
what prevents people from doing this, I think. Like, I think people overestimate, like, people think, like, oh, yeah, I think I pretty much got, got it. I get the problem. I can see what the best design will be. And also, like, yeah, when people hear refactoring, they hear doing the same thing twice. So the idea is, is like, uh, oh, well, let's say, I, let's say, so I did this and it's probably a good design. It may not be the best design, but it's probably a good one. And who knows that the one that I go to will be like, and once I've already done it, so then I have a stunt cost fallacy or maybe it's not a fallacy. Maybe it's just, a, no, it's just not a fallacy. Either. Like you say like, okay, well, I've already designed this. This is what I have. Um, so what's the, what is the cost of going to the next thing versus revisiting this to see if it was the best design choice? So I, I think that the, the sunk cost fallacy comes in because we don't actually ask these questions early enough. If you don't actually ask it early enough, you won't try to figure out the easiest, cheapest way to test this thing out before you build the whole thing. Instead, you just build the whole thing out, right? And by that time, once you've built it out, if it's the wrong decision, it's not optimal, then you've already spent the money and it's gonna be really costly to change gears. However, even in those circumstances, I still want to compare the cost of changing it out versus the cost of using something more optimal. Because again, 60% or more of the cost is maintenance. And when I want to add that additional feature or even maintain the stuff that I have, if it costs more to do it, and it's going to continue to cost more to do it because I have an, a not optimal design, I still need to change it. So you still need to measure this stuff out. And, and we've experienced that on our projects, right? <laughs> oh, I listen, I think I've experienced it in every problem project I've ever been on. <laughs> but uh without having the discipline, if you don't if you don't actually look, um, by the time you actually figure it out anecdotally, you've experienced so much pain, so much cost. Um, that you waste it way more than it would have taken for you to just do these steps up front. And mm -hmm. again, the steps are easy. It's just a matter of humbling the people that are making the decisions to consider that they, every once in a while, they didn't make the best decisions. Right? Yes. But it's, I think most, most people actually agree with the steps. It's really uh, the ego of the person who makes the design decisions that you have to counteract. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I don't know, like um, maybe, but uh, I feel like a lot of times it's the, uh, the guy who's in charge of like not the guy who made the decisions per se, the guy who's in charge of keeping the product on track, who like 
it do, it's like doesn't look good for him to like be like, oh yeah, we just wasted like four months on something and we totally went in the wrong direction. Right. Now, now that should never have happened because he should have been doing this whole thing the whole time. But, That's right. Uh, but um, I don't know. Like sometimes, like I don't know. Like I feel like this product, this 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 practice isn't a hundred percent foolproof. Like you could get the wrong, you could get the wrong. Uh, I mean, you know, like I think it should even itself out. Like I don't think you should go four months off track with this. But I think you could still like go off track. Yeah, but I think you could go off track with this where like, it's like, okay, you didn't spend enough time in your analysis of figuring out exactly what you wanted. You sort of like, you know, like the AI problem of like, yes, you know, like you tell an AI to make peanut butter and sandwich, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in the most efficient way. And like, yeah, it may involve like killing people in Nigeria, but like, you know, like, you didn't program that into the AI, you know, <laughs> like. Yeah, that's how every Terminator movie ends, right? <laughs> yes, like, yeah, um, like, the best, you know, at the end of the day, you, you have a, you have a, you know, a robot forcing young, young, young Nigerian children at gunpoint to spread peanut butter and sandwiches, yeah, you know, and like, yeah, you didn't like, you didn't like, you know, you didn't, you forgot to like program in like, yeah, don't, uh, don't, don't, don't force children at gunpoint to do this. So I, I when, when I first started my career, um, the, I used to tell people to use more discretion, right? So, hey, no, it's, no you kind of know which ones you need to investigate and which ones are, are uh, not worth it. And so, you know, use it when you need it and don't use it when you don't need it. Um, and I, that was my advice when I was younger and more inexperienced. And then I started working with people a longer period of time. And I realized that this wasn't a mechanical mm -hmm. process problem. It was an ego problem. And if you don't make it the standard process to do this type of investigation, then when someone wants to do it, the person in charge will consider it kind of a slight against them. And so they won't want to do it. It'll become, a, it'll become an ego fight. And, and so the best way to handle it is to make this process standard. <laughs> no, that's, that's the way everyone does it now. That's, that's the wrong way, right? Yeah, no, uh, no, I thought you were saying that that's why you said to stop using discretion. Because like the best way to do it is like, don't ruffle this guy's ego. Use your discretion and don't use the ego. Yeah. Right. <laughs> nice. So what you want to do is you want to make it the policy that it happens all the time. So that way, the one or two times where you actually do need it, and it would ruffle someone's feathers. Um, they're used to it already because they had to do it as part of the policy every time. So then it doesn't become this ego part, ego fight. It becomes part of the regular policy they have to deal with anyway. But that's what you want. You agree, right? Yeah. So there you have it. Confirmation. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. Well, so, yeah. Actually, it's we're we're at the hour now, so this may be a good point to uh to transition off for today. Yeah. What do you think? That's, that's, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think I think we've uh, we've 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 now we now are on the right path to making it the proper design decisions. So yeah. Okay. Well, tune with us. Tune in next time. What's our topic next time? Well, you know what? Um, our someone asked me a little while ago, not about the design decision itself um and choosing the optimal one but like when you discover something new what's the correct way to share it with the rest of the team because okay. you want some you don't want your organization learning the same things over and over again somebody learns it there should be a mechanism so that they can share it with other people and not make the same mistakes i hear that That's so how do we yeah, how do we share our design learnings? Yes. Okay, so let's, uh, okay, so let's do that. Next topic. Is how do we share our design learning? Okay, so there tune, we go. In, tune, tune, tune in to tune in next time. Uh, Agile Adventures for how we do that.